трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут, На зеленом ковре стадиона Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast, bringing you the latest insight into Russian football. Uh, once again, we're joined. I'm joined by two guests, but slightly different guests this time. I'm joined by the regular. I just can't seem to get rid of him, no matter how much I try. Toka Thelaid, how are you? Oh, you're so nice always. I know. Yeah, I'm. I'm not trying to get rid of you. Really, really, you're really welcome here. Obviously, <laughs> but uh, we have a newbie onto the panel. So, John, would you like to introduce yourself here? Hello, I'm uh, John Torrey, and you may have seen some of my articles, including a recent one. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. Let's say that. Lovely. Okay, perfect. So, the first topic we're going to get on with uh, underway here is actually relating to you, John. So, as you yep. mentioned, you wrote an article recently about uh, Cherchesov following the, um, the the friendly defeat to Ivory Coast. Pretty disgraceful performance, in all honesty. And you are absolutely calling, disgraceful. So, you are calling for Cherchesov to be sacked. Uh, or resign. I mean, I, I don't have any personal grievances with the man, obviously. Uh, I'd rather he step down honourably. Uh, but if needs be, then yes, I think, I think it's time for Chichesov to go. So what are your reasons behind that? Just for the listeners who haven't read the article, what what's your main sort of calls for it? The, like? the main reason is that whilst bad results are, of course, dreadful to see and, and no one wants that, it's the way in which the, the side is playing. Uh, they play with very little enthusiasm very little passion, very little pride. There's no tenacity to the team. Uh, I would suggest that on a minute-for-minute minute basis, the style of play we're seeing now is worse than we saw at the European Championships, which I think no one thought was possible. Um, I mean, Toko, what's your take on this then? Because obviously, I mean, from my point of view, I'm thinking he was only appointed quite recently. You've got to give him a chance, haven't you? I think he has received his chance here. I mean, it's not like he was hired yesterday. We have, he have had it's plenty only a of few months. So... It's only a few months, and it's international football. He's not like he's with them every day. No, of course not. But we have seen, we have seen some really, really poor performances. It's, it's not just results. I mean, I can live with bad results because, as you said, he was just hired. The main problem for me is, is the lack of. There's, there's simply no excitement about the team. There's no will to win. The players look like they don't even care. Like they're playing a. A, a winter friendly against a, a second division team. It's there, there's no spark in this team, and that's what really disappoints me. I I have to say though, I mean, we are what are we two three months away from the Confederations Cup. I don't think you can sack him now. I think you have to give him at least until the Confederations Cup. Just give him a chance to finish what he started. But if that turns out to be a disappointment, which to be honest I expect, um, then I think Russia have to they have to look for another another option because taking another year with Chazichov, it, it won't improve anything and it would just be an embarrassment at the World Cup. I mean, John, what I would say is in your article you talked about sort of the tinkering of the tactics, if you like. Yes. Now, my argument here is that does he have much choice? I mean, do you see what I'm trying to say? He hasn't really... I, they haven't I understand. had a settled side for years. They haven't, but this is the reason that I think many of us thought, and, and I believe that Chesov was not my preferred choice, but a good choice when he was first uh, given the post. But we thought he would bring some stability, given his performance as a player, uh, where he was a goalkeeper, and a very good one, by the way. I believe that he would bring some stability to the Russian national side and, def- and decide very early on, at least in regards to defence, what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go. I think that what he should have done as soon as he took over was quickly move out 
uh, players like Berezutsky, for example, and, and give opportunities to Vassin, who finally got a, a, a real go against Belgium and was very good, actually. I think it, it was more that we haven't seen a decisiveness in terms of defensive task, tactics and, and team selection in general. That's the reason that I would, I would, I would call for his head. But, I mean, does the Belgium result, they drew 3-3 against a, a team who was no, world number one just a matter of months ago. Does that give you any hope? Well, the FIFA rankings, first of all, I, I dismiss uh, right yeah, out. Yeah, obviously. I mean, they, are, that's, they that's... are undoubtedly a good side, though. I, would, I wouldn't say they're a good team. I would say they're a team of very good players. But if you look at the players they have, and then you ask yourself a question, do they play as a team? Belgium do not play as a team. They often record... Uh, well, they're on the receiving end of upsets and disappointments because they do not have a, a sense of cohesion. I would also say that Russia in that game for a long period were completely out of it. They, they seemed as though they would have absolutely no chance whatsoever, free one down. And then Belgium made two uh, big substitutions that in a competitive match they would never have made. And finally, some of Stan's tinkering paid off when he, he brought on Moranchuk, who really gave life to the game. But prior to that, if those, those events hadn't happened, we would be having a conversation far more harsh in regards to the manager because the way they played prior to the very end of the game was as disgraceful, if not more disgraceful, than the performance against the Ivory Coast. I mean, I just want to go back to Toker's point. I mean, Toker, I will bring you back in a minute, but you, Toker mentioned giving him a chance uh, at the Confederations Cup. Would you do the same or are you calling for sort of an immediate parting of the ways, if you like? I think it has to be immediate because I think there needs to be time for the man who replaces him uh, to build some cohesion in a way that Chichesov has failed to do. I, I understand why you would wait for that to see it as a, as a real test. But I think if, it's, if the decision is taken now, there's a real opportunity for the person who comes in to prepare for the Confederations Cup and by the Confederations Cup demonstrate the kind of Russian national side we're going to see at the World Cup. And again, I'm not asking for uh, great results. I'm not necessarily asking for wins. What I'm asking for is a team that plays with some passion and some pride because that's what the Russian people will deserve when they host their first World Cup. A team that plays with some passion, some pride, not necessarily elegance, but certainly a bit more tenacity and a bit more aggression. I mean, Toka, the thing I would say is I'm a big one for defending managers generally. Players have to take a lot of blame here. He's not the first manager they've let down. He probably won't be the last manager they've let down. This, this has to shoulder with them. Of course. I mean, I think listeners of, the, of this podcast will know that we are all very, very critical of the Russian. The limit in the Premier League on foreigners, the talent development, the, uh, the, yeah, simply the, the whole football structure in the country. And of course, that, has, um, that, that affects the performances as well. I mean, that's the reason we see, at least part of the reason why we see these awful games. I mean... That's the reason why the players aren't better. The reason why the players aren't playing at a higher level. Uh, obviously, it plays a, a huge role. And you also have to to look when you look at, for example, the um, reactions following the loss to the Ivory Coast. I believe it was um, all of one of the commentators who said the players kept, um, they played like cowards. And he's absolutely right. There was there was really no no will to to win that game. And when you see how the players from the Ivory Coast played, it was a completely different level. And and of course, the players, you, you, you really have to look at them too. And um, they are the ones playing the game. So you can't put all the blame on the, you can't put all the blame on the coach. Definitely not. But um, I think, I don't think Chachichov is doing anything to improve the results and to 
to get rid of this poor attitude and, and mentality among the players. And I think that's probably a huge part of the problem as well. But, but that's not his responsibility. Players players are men. You know, they, these are human beings. They're, they've got a responsibility to themselves, not just the Russian public and everybody, but to themselves to put in a good performance. I mean, the, the other point I want, wanted to address as well is I mentioned the tinkering to John earlier. What choice does Cherchesov have here when he's got players letting him down all the time? He gets rid of them, gets someone else in. They let him down. I mean, it's just a vicious circle. I think one of the things I'm the most disappointed about uh, with Chertyshov is actually the fact that he doesn't really speak about the problems there is in Russian football. I remember I said this when he was hired uh, last year to replace Slutsky, that he wasn't hired because he's the best available coach. He's hired because he's a coach who doesn't really put out any demands. He he doesn't cause any problems from Mutko and the rest of the football federation. He's a man who will do his job, his job without complaining. He's not like Mutko, who openly talked about the problems with uh, uh, Slutsky, of course, who openly talked about the problems with the foreigner limit, or Fabio Capello, who demanded a lot of things from the Russian Football Union, like improving the training facilities and giving him more time with the players and and all this stuff. I mean, uh, Capello and and to a lesser extent Slutsky, they really tried to to change the structures in the game. And you also need a manager who acknowledges those problems and try to do something for that because. For Russian football to actually really develop uh, and move forward, you have to change the way the, the football in the country is structured. And Chasichev hasn't shown any will to do that right now, and that's that, that that's why and that's one of the major reasons why I don't think he should keep doing his job. I mean, as well as the results, of course. Yeah, I mean, John. I mean, how much of this is actually? I mean, Toka talks about the structure and things there. And like, like I said, just before I asked him the question, I'm a staunch defender of managers keeping their jobs generally. So this is, <laughs> you this certainly is, are. This is why I'm going to... I'm arguing with you a bit, to be honest. I'm sorry about that, but it needs to be done. No, it's fantastic. It's but, what we need. But surely the structure of the game in Russia has far more to do with it than any manager. Like I said, there's been... You mentioned three managers there, Toka, who have all failed. I mean, obviously there's a lot of sort of their personal faults, if you like. But there's a there's a problem with the whole system. Changing Churchesov for somebody else, or and then somebody after that, and after that, is not going to change the system. But you won't need to continue with those changes, and I think this is what Toko is saying as well. Uh, you won't need to continue with that if you find a manager who will challenge the Russian football union on issues like that, on things that need to be uh, done away with, like the foreigner limit, for example. And we also, it wasn't so long ago, okay, it's 10 years now, but hitting. Sorry, very, very quickly, to... sorry, John, I, I really didn't want to cut you off your trail there. But, That's fine, it's fine. But the thing you say about appointing a manager who's going to challenge the RFU, why would the mm-hmm. RFU, is that realistic? Why would the RFU appoint somebody like that? Well, public pressure, especially when the, there's an upcoming uh, World Cup is something that can make a real difference. And if you look at the, the Russian press and its response, particularly to the European Championships, uh, and then later, more recently, as, as Toka said, when they were describing the players as, as cowards, there will be enough pressure on Mutko. He's a politician, above all else. He's, there will be enough pressure on Mutko for him to say, OK, we need to have a successful tournament, not just off the pitch, but on the pitch. And that means that maybe I'll have to concede on a few things that I wouldn't normally. He may then go back after the World Cup to try and to attempt uh, business as usual. But at least there can be enough cha- of a challenge mounted, first in the press, then from the public, to bring in a, uh, a manager who will challenge them on those things and may get more than he would usually because there is this tournament so close. 
Yeah, I did cut you off in the hitting train there. I just carry on with your comment on hitting because I cut you off and I thought, oh, I really wanted to hear that. <laughs> well, I think I think that what hitting dealt with was not too different from the system we see currently. I, I can't think of any major differences. But what he unlocked, and we saw flashes of this against Belgium. We, it is there. I didn't believe. In fact, if I was to amend one part of my article, it would be this. I didn't believe that this Russian side had any of the kind of flair or panache, and I still don't think they have to the same level as the 2008 side. But when uh, Marantruk came on, and when they started to play against Belgium, I believed, when, when they made it 3-3, I thought maybe they'll actually steal this. It is there. And as Hiddink managed to unlock uh, lots of very good players who had for a long time been underperforming, I believe the right coach, and I think I know who he is, I'm sure we'll get to that, uh, I believe the right coach could unlock that in these players, not to the same degree, but to a respectable degree. So you mentioned it there. Who is the right coach for you then? It's it's for me. It's Kabamba Dayev, and it always was. I mean, I, I, the the reasons will be pretty obvious to the listeners, but you can explain your reasons anyway. I think that he is someone who will be willing, uh, for example, to challenge the football union on many things. I would also draw a parallel between uh, Badeev and uh, a rather famous English coach, Terry Venables, in 96, again, when England were going to host a, a tournament. Venables probably would never have been hired as England manager, uh, apart from at that time, because there was the pressure of an upcoming tournament. There was a team that had underperformed prior to that quite consistently, if you remember. Uh, and I think that this is the opportunity for someone like Badev, who I think is a kind of Russian Terry Venables, to come in and make some real changes and unlock a similar level of performance from a team who are on home soil in front of home fans uh, to the one that we saw from England in '96, when they, I think that was their best uh, their their best performance uh, in recent times. No, the semi final. Yeah, probably. I mean, Toko, would you go with Badev as well, or have you got any other names floating around in your head? I think Badiev would be would be a great choice. He's obviously a man who wants to who want he wants to do everything by his own head. That's why he he is hired by Rasta right now, and and that's why he didn't land the the job at Spartak and and Lokomotiv last summer. That's probably also why he didn't land the job at the Russian national team because there were a lot of rumors about that. But I mean, if if you go with a guy like him, he would demand full control over everything, and um, I think that'd be a good thing, and I think he could be a really good choice. He's obviously a man who knows how to create results, and he doesn't need a long time to do it. Uh, so he would be a great choice for Russia. He would be a great choice for the World Cup. He could. I, I'm fairly certain that with him on the sideline, Russia would deliver a, an acceptable tournament. They would make some nice results, um, and that would be great. An alternative for me is, I don't have a name for this, but at a Dutch coach, someone like Dick Advocat, that goes hitting one of those coaches who might not make a. They'll probably not go as long as they could with Bediv, but someone who's playing some offensive uh, offensive football, someone who's playing some entertaining football, um, and who can really get the excitement back around the national team, who can rekindle the love for the national team, because that's really something Russia need right now. There's the the support for the national team is ridiculously low at the moment. And I understand why, but I think if they bring in someone with um, someone who plays some offensive, offensive football and who wants to have the ball and create chances, I think that could be a, a great a great choice too. And I don't even think they they need to, they don't need to win the World Cup or go to the semi-finals or whatever Budko has talked about in the past. But if as long as they just play play some entertaining football, get some good results, then I think the fans will support them no matter what. Um, just a couple of questions to your point there, Toko. 
A, would the Russian public take another foreign coach? And also, B, I mentioned to John earlier about is it realistic to get somebody like Berdiev, as you mentioned, who would challenge the RFU? Now, John seemed to think that with the tournament coming up, that you would be able to get that sort of person in because of the pressure on the tournament. What What's your thought on those two points? I'm afraid that's unrealistic. I don't I don't think Mutku wants anyone who can come in and challenge him. I think he wants someone who, who shuts up, that, does his job, and then follow follow whatever rules he sets out of it. That's that's why the hype chess is off in the first place. And speak, uh, regarding the foreign manager, it's probably not realistic. I mean, Bedjev is from Turkmenistan, of course, so he is... Yeah, he's a foreigner. He is a foreigner, but I, I get your point. I don't think they bring in someone expensive, high-profile name like Capello or hitting Not at all. They they don't have the finances for that. And but lesser lesser coaches could do it. I mean, it's it's more about the mindset than the name. Actually, I did, I didn't mean to make it sound like they should bring in Mourinho or Guardiola. No, no, but no I understood that. You just, just mentioned a couple of a couple of coaches, football. and you mentioned foreigners, and I thought it was an interesting yeah. point with the Russian public. Yeah, no, but it, it could also. Yeah, right now we don't have any really skilled Russian coaches who who play offensive form of football. But if Elinichev, for example, had succeeded at Spartak, and if he had rekindled the Spartak spirit with his sort of um, possession-based football, then he could be it could be someone like him. But unfortunately, right now there's there aren't really any skilled Russian coaches with that mindset. But I, it doesn't necessarily have to be a foreigner. I mean, I remember when we were discussing when Cherchesov was appointed, I said Sergei Semak, and I'm I'm still on that point. Not saying Cherchesov should go, but I still think Semak should have got it in the first place. But we've had a couple of questions regarding the national team, so I just want to put these to a couple of you. So, um, I mean, this is a good one from Andrew Flint, who, of course, is usually on the podcast. He's, he's given his input anyway because he can't help but be involved in this podcast. I mean, John, I mean, Toka sort of answered it there, but what would the expectations be of a new manager? I think the expectations are, are, are pure and simple. To get out of the the group stage uh, at this at this point would be fantastic. I mean, I didn't think we'd be saying this so close to the tournament, but alas, we are. Um, that would be wonderful. But more than that, uh, further to Toko's point, it's about seeing some passion. I think that the the fans and and the football union would accept going out in the group stages if they did so with at least a few big moments where certain players came to the fore, where certain players uh, really delivered uh, key points in games, at least seeing some tenacity and some passion. Not the capitulation that we saw in the European Championships and not the even worse capitulation we've seen recently under Tuchesov. I think what people want to really see is a strong Russia side that at least attempts, attempts to win games, doesn't look to to sit back and, and hope for a draw and then fall apart midway through the match. Okay, and then we've got another question as well from another Russian football news writer. That's David Sanson. He's, by the way, for the listeners, he's just written a fantastic piece about um, African players just coming into the Russian Premier League recently, which is a really good read you should check out. And Toka, he's said, should Jauzinho Ari and Mario Fernandez be getting Russian caps? I know we've covered this before with the whole um, new Russian passports, and I can't remember the exact term for it now. You know what I'm saying. But what's your view on this? Personally, I don't like when you nationalize Brazilian or foreign players in general who have had no real relation to the country. Um, so I don't think so. But with that said, Mario Fernandez, he has been granted Russian citizenship. He is eligible, eligible to play from May. So considering that, I think he, they, 
now that everything is done, I think they should include him in the national team because he is one of the best players in the Russian Premier League. He's probably going to be uh, a regular player on the national team. So at this stage, I don't think this is, I, I think it would be foolish not to use him. But in the first place, I don't think he should have ever been granted um, Russian citizenship, citizenship, at least not the way they gave it to him. For example, when uh, Julian from uh, from Lugomoso, that's another case because he went through all the all the normal proceedings and applied by himself. I think that's maybe a different case because he actually got it um, like a normal person would do, and not on a special decree from Vladimir Putin like Marie Fernandez did. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it's pretty easy to get Russian citizenship now if you're a big sports star. I mean, John, what's your view on naturalization? Quickly. I think it's it's all in the results eventually. If they manage to deliver at the World Cup, then uh, this kind of debate will be immediately forgotten uh, and we'll all be praising them as, as heroes of Russia. But if they don't, then of course it, it will be held against them to an even greater degree than the, the players that are born and, and raised there. It's a tricky one in terms of morale and, and, and uh, positivity about the homegrown game because if you are naturalizing quite a few players now just to have a, a relatively convincing starting lineup what does it say about the football development in your country yeah i don't want to get too deep into football development because that's a topic that can go on for hours but I want to, <laughs> yeah i want to move on to a sort of it's relevant to the national team so leonid slutsky has uh, he's doing an interview with match tv tonight i'm not sure if it's gone out at this time of the podcast but it will be It'll be up by the time this podcast is published, so you can check it out. Um, so Slutsky is currently spending time in England. Uh, when he was asked what he was doing, he says he's uh, learning English and watching football. So, Toko, where do you think we'll end up seeing Slutsky next? Or do we want to see him ending up anywhere near Russia, to be honest, with that football? Well, I, I really hope that he'll sign with a foreign club because he's, he, he's a good coach. He's a promising coach. I don't think he'll he'll end up in the Premier League. We have seen a lot of stories about him moving to a Premier League. It seems that people are almost taking it for granted that he'll sign with a Premier League club. He was even linked with Chelsea before this season. Um, but I don't think he'll... He, I don't think he has a reputation for the Premier League and I don't think he's, he quite has the level for the Premier League. But I could see him join a, a mid-table club in, in one, of the, one of the big leagues in Europe. The fact that he speaks English now, of course, it opens so many doors for him, uh, doors that were closed before when he only spoke Russian. So I'm I'm really excited about his future and excited to see where he ends up. I really hope he, he stays abroad and, and not go for the safe option of moving back to Russia. Yeah, he says he's learning English for eight hours a day. And um, he says, Mar- for example, Mourinho's English, he says he's 10 out of 10. He says he's a 6.5 or 7 out of 10. So it's pretty good going considering he's only... And actually, a funny fact... On uh, Match of the Day the other night, they showed um, Alan Pardew in the stand. They said, oh, Alan Pardew's at this game. I can't remember what game it was. But before I noticed Pardew, I noticed Slutsky sitting next to him, which is about how much of a Russian geek I am, really. But, um, John, what what would you say about Slutsky's future? Does he have any future in England, perhaps? It's it's a possibility. I, I think that some uh, foreign experience uh, would be good for him. He had a, a rather trying last year, as, as we all know. I think he's an excellent coach Slutsky and I think what happened with the uh, Russian national side was a case of too much too soon I think he needed a bit more time uh, as, as a club manager before taking on that role I, I wish to this day that he'd taken it later in his career uh, and I think that maybe in a foreign league I'm not sure about England uh, I think he might be better off somewhere like Italy uh, just in terms of their understanding of, of, of the tactical side of the game I think that would benefit him a lot 
Um, but if he was to to manage again quite soon, I would say that a, a position at a foreign club would be the best move for him, no question. So what sort of level are you looking at? You mentioned Italy. I mean, Toka mentions as well a couple of other sort of mid-division. Would you say he'd go for a top job in Italy? I think if not top, then relatively close. Obviously, the standing of the Italian league is, is nothing like it was when certainly I was growing up. I remember Serie A being a, one of the most sought-after leagues, but it, it's certainly not there any longer. Uh, I don't think he'd get one of the top sides, especially as he's most known outside of Russia for his uh, recent debacle of the national side. But it, it would be maybe a team like uh, Roma, I might suggest. With Spalletti there, of course, at the moment, former Zenit man. Well, but Spalletti has a tendency to, to, to move on <laughs> yeah. fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there, John, about Slutsky's age, which is quite interesting because you look at him and you think he's quite an old coach. He's been around a while. But Toker, he's only 45. I mean, with such a young age, do you think he's, because of uh, the Russia thing that John mentioned, I'd go to the CSKA Champions League performances, which have been pretty dire. No one's really been impressed by them. Is Slutsky damaged goods? So if, say, your club, appointed Bromby, the old club, for example, appointed him. I mean, not you specifically, because you have a bit more knowledge, but would other fans be thinking, why do we want this man who played boring football in the Champions League and made a mess of the Russian national team? No, I don't think so. Not at all. I think, I mean, a guy winning Russian championship coming to them, like, that would be, that would be huge. So I don't think anyone would be unsatisfied with the, unhappy with that. But speaking in general, I don't think he's damaged good at all. He, he did, do some really good things at CSK. He beat clubs with a much larger budget than than, uh, than his, and they played some really nice football at times. You also have to remember that they qualified for for the Champions League for many years in a row, and that he got them to the Champions League quarterfinal back in 2009, I think it was, during his first season. So obviously, he has done some great things. I think the most important thing to remember about Sluski is the fact that he has now spent a year away from football a year where he has had time to clear his head to come up with new ideas. I think that he, he really did look exhausted back in the, back during the Euro, following a long season with Siska, following the national team. That's probably also why we all think he's so much older than he really is. I am. Um, I think the fact that he has, he has spent some time away from football, just trying to develop his ideas, meeting new people, making new contacts, getting new expressions, um, I think that's that's so important, and I think he'll it'll really benefit him in the long run. It'll benefit him next season already, as when he gets his uh, his next job. And I'm as I said, I'm I'm quite excited to see how he uh, how he fares from now on because I really think this year has has done him a lot of good. Yeah, I mean, John, he said in that interview I mentioned with Match TV, I'd only seen an excerpt because it hadn't fully gone out when I read it, but he says he's feeling sort of fresh as ever, really, and he's he's looking to get back into work next season. So, I mean. Would you consider him damaged goods? <laughs> um, you, it's, you it's mentioned you had one. quite a lot of regrets about him. I'm just wondering whether that means you think he's damaged, unlike Toka. Well, it's, it's more regrets that I don't know if he'd ever get the chance to manage the Russian national side again, which I always thought would be his ultimate destination. And I'm not sure he'll ever get the opportunity again because the memory will always be there. Uh, and I think that that would be something I'd like to see later on. I'd love to see him take over the Russian reins, and I think that's unlikely now. Uh, in terms of club football, I think that people with any real knowledge of the game, which you would hope uh, people within the, the club itself would have, would remember that although his last uh, period of Cisco was, was not great, he, he had the honour, unlike some, to resign. <laughs> and uh, also he was, uh, he was very good for a long, long time at Cisco. 
And and during that time, although they didn't make the impression in, in, in tournaments like the Champions League they may, may have wanted, they, they had some, some very strong results. I remember them away at the Old Trafford a, a few years back when Ferguson was uh, still manager of Manchester United and they managed a 3-3 free, free draw and were very unlucky not to win that match. So people with a knowledge of the game will know that Slutsky is an excellent coach and certainly the, the best coach to come out of Russia aside from there in a very long time. I mean... Toka, the, the point I've just thought of in my head as well, the good thing with Slutsky, I'm generally quite anti-Slutsky, which is probably a bit harsh. He's another ex-goalkeeper, by the way, going back to the Cherchesov point. But um, that he's got good talent of picking out, well, picking out talent from foreign leagues. So we saw Musa, for example, at CSKA, who made, they made a massive profit on, and, and players like that. I mean, he could bring that to other clubs quite easily. Yeah, certainly. Um, and not only picking them out because... But also developing them, he took players who who looked. Um, of course, Musa was not his invention. He did do very well in um, in Holland before, and so did Hunter and and all these other great players that Siska sold on for for big money. But in general, he he does has have a very good eye for for talent. He does know how to develop the players. He does seem very popular among the players. Um, and although the Siska's results were poor at, at the end, I think he. He remained popular among the players, and many of them were sad to see him leave. So he he certainly is a he does he does have an eye for talent, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, John, Toka mentioned that he might end up back in Russia. Do you think that could be? Would it be a failure if he came back to Russia? It, it would depend where he goes. I, I wouldn't call it a, a failure as such if he went to one of the top teams, but I wonder which team that could possibly be. Um, I, I really do feel that it would be better for him as a manager to get some experience abroad, just to see another style of play and just to be out of that Russian football bubble, uh, which you kind of alluded to when you said that you were looking at him next to Pardew and immediately noticed Slutsky rather than Pardew, that even us as avid fans of the Russian game, we become a little bit stuck within th- that one area. I think for Slutsky to go elsewhere and, and see what it's like, would be very, very beneficial to him and hopefully beneficial later on to Russian football if he came back and brought some of that knowledge with it. I mean, Tokov, you mentioned it first about coming back to Russia. Do you think it would be a failure if he, say, if he came back this season? Because to my mind, it would be because he spent a year out learning English, trying to get new te- coaching techniques or whatever, learn, feeling fresh, as he says. And then for him just to come back to his, the bubble, as John said, be a bit weird. Yeah, it definitely would. I mean, he has when when you look at his career, he has won everything he could in Russia. He has done everything. There's, I don't. In the end, of course, he can return, and that wouldn't be a defeat. But I think right now, after all this all, all this time, I think he him moving back to say Senator Spartak, whatever that would that would be uh, a failure for him because but he, that there isn't really anything else he can achieve in Russia right now. He could move to the national team. That would that would be. Maybe not. A, that would be a step up, probably. Uh, although I don't think he'll move to the national team, but anything but that, that would be a strange career choice. And that would be the same thing we always criticize the players for, by taking the safe choice, staying in the in the Russian Premier League, going for the easy money instead of challenging themselves and, and going abroad. So, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you, Thomas. Um, just before we move on to some questions from listeners, I'm putting it out there now. I actually said it a while ago, but you heard it here, probably not first, but you did hear it here, that Slutsky to Vitesse Arnhem, I think that could be big with his Abramovich connections. That could be quite a good one. But um, anyway, moving on to these questions. Now, this is linked to the Russian national team. We've had a question from 
Sozer Jess on Twitter. Sorry if I haven't pronounced that correctly. Um, opinions from both of you on Russia passing Portugal in the UEFA coefficient rankings. So obviously this means that um, Russia will get an extra Champions League place in two, from 2018 onwards. So quite a good year for Russian football, really, 2018. Um, but he also adds a little sub-question. is Will it affect the bigger Russian Premier League clubs' transfer plans? I mean, John, what would you say on that? I think the addition of another Champions League place will, will always make you a far more attractive prospect. And um, I had felt uh, prior to this that the, the Russian league had lost some of its luster. I remember, of course, in the glorious summer of 2008, there suddenly became a lot of interest in the Russian league because people saw these fine players that had been raised there and, and wondered if they could catch someone uh, maybe still coming up. And, that, and that's faded somewhat. So I would, I would hope this is a bit of a shot in the arm. For, for the Russian game and, and the people, players as, as well as fans would look at it slightly differently because if you think about the Portuguese league you have teams like Benfica and teams like Sporting Lisbon these are these are highly renowned teams at least historically speaking what's funny, so for sorry the, very quickly John is what's funny is actually Zenit who will come on to shortly actually signed quite a few players from Benfica in the last couple of years like Garay and Witzel so actually this has been is more of a formality really Russia taking over now isn't it I, I, I mean, it's a very good point because I, w- I would say now, if I, if I were playing, that's difficult to imagine. Oh, I can um, imagine it. That... <laughs> what a picture. But I, I would say that, that it is a more attractive league, not just because of the, the quality of the clubs at the moment and the way they play, but also because we're aware that the infrastructure in terms of finances is still more present uh, somewhere like Zenit or uh, even Sascar than it is uh, Benfica or, or Porto you have much more opportunity there for, for development and growth. And with Russia hosting the, the World Cup as well, you would expect more attention, therefore more money, to go into the Russian game following that. Or at least you would hope so. You see, John, I'm going to sort of disagree with you, John, but ask Toka the question at the same time. I would say that players would still actually rather move to Portugal despite this, this upgrade in ranking. Just a, more of a lifestyle thing more than anything, I think. I mean, I love Russia, but you know, players will go to Portugal. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, I think you just have to look at the, the clubs that Benfica or Porto sell their players to, and then the clubs Senna and Siska sell their players to. Musa was one of the best players in in Russia, and he moved to Leicester. But all due respect for their achievements last season, I don't think you can compare with Hamas well, Slimani, Vegas, Slimani who's, who's now playing well. for Real Madrid. No. Slimani, <laughs> mo- Slimani moved to Leicester. Yeah, that's true. But in, in general, it seems that, for example, you have Vitor Lindelof at the... Uh, Benfica, he's linked with um, Manchester United regularly, and I think as a player, I'd, I'd rather move to to Benfica or Porto. It seems like the, the better destination. Um, regarding the transfer strategy of the of the Russian clubs, I don't think much will change to be honest, because you could say that maybe Lokomotiv or or Ruben Kassan or Rostov Krasnodar they would they would gamble more because they had this this opportunity to come into the Champions League. But we have to remember that they're all regularly penalized for breaching the financial fair play regulations. So even if somehow the the owners put in more money in the clubs, they don't really have the chance, they don't really have the opportunity to spend more money because they're already very near the limit. Maybe they're even over the limit of what they're allowed to spend. So perhaps if we see three clubs in the Champions League in 2018, then the third club that qualified if we assume that Siskan Senna will qualify as usual, um, perhaps a third, third club, perhaps Spartak, perhaps Lokomotiv, that they can spend more than usual uh, from the future on. But 
until we have seen three clubs in the in the Champions League and we, until we have three clubs that have gotten that that lucrative Champions League money, I don't think we can expect many changes simply because it's not possible with the with the current UEFA regulations. Yeah, it's a very good point about the uh, financial fair play there. I mean, I mentioned Zenit earlier. We're going to come on to a couple of other questions now. I'm going to tie them both into one here because they're both about Zenit. So, Mark, these are both from Twitter, by the way. Mark says, what's missing at Zenit at the moment? Of course, they're third in the table and quite a way off the title. And Kurzakovista, I'm assuming that's not his real name, is uh, what future do we see for Luchescu? So, John, just both of those questions, what would you answer? Well, I mean, you may be surprised to hear this, but I'm not actually too worried or disappointed in, in Zenit this season. Uh, I, I think there's been a, a lot of positives, although not all of the results have gone as, as Zenistas would wish. Um, but I, I think it's about development. I, I would hope, actually, in contrast to Chesov, that Luchescu gets a chance to stay on, because I think that over time... Uh, Zenit will develop further and, and the team will be back somewhere under Luchesco to, to where they need to be. The, the season's not over and let's not forget that Zenit have a tendency after the winter break to have that dip. Uh, the, the hope is always that their performances in the first half of the season are strong enough to carry them through the second half and that they can pick it up towards the end again. Uh, to me, Zenit still look a bit like a, a team in transition uh, and one that will need strengthening in certain areas. Uh, but I think... I would hope that Luchescu would, would, would stay on for at least a, another season after this one. Uh, and I believe that by the end of the season, we may all be whistling a slightly different tune. I, I think they'll still manage to to somehow get the second place. I, I, I think that. So when Mark says what's missing, do you think it's sort of um, cohesion in the team? I think it's time. I think what's missing is time. Uh, there, there are certain areas that maybe could be strengthened, but most of the, 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 the major flaws, I think, will be ironed out, as, as you say, through cohesion and, and through simply having the opportunity to get used to a new system of management, which will be very different to the one they knew previously, before Luchescu. I mean, Toka, Zenit would be absolutely balmy to get rid of him now, or even at the end of the season, wouldn't they? I mean, you look at his record at Shakhtar and how, did he, how well he did with them. He is essentially a perfect manager for Zenit. Well, I think you can raise questions at his age, for example. He is pushing 70, or maybe he's even 70 right now. I don't, I'm not sure. But he's the kind of guy, he's probably not into it for the long run. He had a lot of time at Shakhtar, and I don't think he can copy that as center simply because of his age. But that said, of, of course, I don't think this is second right now. And to answer about what Senator are missing, I think the, the answer is pretty simple. They, they miss Hulk and Witzel. You can't take two players who are so important like those two out of a team and then expect the team to perform at the same same level as uh, as before. I think Senate they actually played very well in the in the fall. I was very optimistic on the, on their behalf. I was very impressed with uh, with Giuliano. Every, I think everybody knows that. Um and yeah as John said they have dipped a bit after the after after the winter they were not good in the in the Europa League and in the league it has been shaky to put it mildly as well. But I think, yeah, give Luchescu some more time. Let's let's give him another transfer window, and I think next season we'll we'll see some we'll see a different team. But of course, it, it's certainly worrying what what we see right now. But I think they would be foolish to second. I mean, when you say next season we'll see a new team, I mean, I know this season's not over yet, as John said. But what are you expecting next season then? Well, I expect the um, the team to know to know him better, him to know the the team, the league better, and also. 
he has brought in a lot of new players this this year. For example, we have seen Hanani in the um, Hanani and Johan Moto this winter. I hope he'll get them integrated more into the team. Hopefully, he has a he'll get a chance to put his own mark on the team because right now this is probably the weakest Senate team we have seen in a long time, and that that's not just his fault. That's as I said, because they sold Witzel and because they sold Hulk, because they are they are starting to build a new team. And if there's one thing he showed at Shakhtar, it is that he he knows how to to build a team and to build a winning squad. So uh, he just needs time to do that. I mean, John. I mean, as you'll know, as a, a regular listener of the podcast, I hope that we've said we said a couple of a few weeks ago, I think that in terms of the the foreigners, Zenit have the most average of the big teams, and. Like I said to Toka, and you mentioned the season's not over yet. But if I know you said they get second as well, but if they don't get second place in that Champions League spot, does that really scupper Luchescu? I imagine it would, wouldn't it? Because his budgets would go all over the place. The different players that he's probably tracking now, he'd have to go for others. It would be very, very problematic for him. I, I would hope that they, they wouldn't react uh, too quickly and do something like get rid of him. I mean, who would replace him, uh, for, for one thing? Um, I, don't, I can't think of anyone more qualified for the Zenit position uh, than him at the moment who, who would be interested in the job. Um, and I would also say that there's still time. Uh, the, the foreign problem is something I've mentioned in the past, I think in an article on, on Russian Football News. Uh, that's something that needs to be looked at. What we used to see from uh, Zenit in terms of youth development and fantastic players they produced in, in the past during that uh, Europa League winning side. That does seem to have disappeared entirely. Now, I also believe that Luchescu could be the man to develop players from within because he has such a, a great record of being a, a disciplinarian, if you will, about having a very strong footballing ethics. Uh, I, I think that to get rid of Luchescu, even if he doesn't get second place, well, as you say, it would cause him problems, but I think the the board would be a little too smart than than to say goodbye to him just on the basis of that. Okay, I think that pretty much rounds off the whole podcast, to be honest. I mean, we've had a, a really good time, and John, I mean, thank you for coming onto the podcast. We really enjoyed we really enjoyed your article as well in discussing that. So, I mean, my pleasure. Seeing as you're a, a first time first time onto the podcast, if you just want to give the listeners maybe a couple of things about, I don't know, your Twitter handle and things like that. It's uh, at John L. Torrey is my Twitter handle. Um, and that's all I'm willing to give, I'm afraid of. <laughs> that's all right. We're not, expe- we're not expecting address. Torrey is T-O-R-R-I-E, right? I-E, yes. Perfect. Not pronounced Torrey. I'm, I'm very pleased that no one got it wrong on this, <laughs> this podcast. No, that's perfect. And Toka, as usual, thank you as always. It's always a pleasure, Thomas. Lovely. So just for the listeners, again, as we say every episode, do uh, subscribe to the podcast SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, follow us on Twitter at Russ Football News, Russian Football News Facebook page, and of course, keep checking out the website. And just a final note, um, early, before this podcast, we recorded a fantastic uh, interview with Hosimar about their article, the slave workers, well, in the involvement in the Zenit Arena there. So do go and check that interview out. It's on the Russian Football News website. It's on the SoundCloud page. Do go and check it out. It's really worth a listen. It's one of the, my favorite things we've ever done, to be honest. So again, it just leaves me to say thank you to the two guests and we'll see you on the next podcast.